there we find a summary of God's word about forgiveness as follows. And the question is, <clears throat> what is the fifth petition? The answer, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us, wretched sinners, any of our transgressions, nor the evil which still clings to us. As we also find this evidence of your grace in us, that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. After the sermon, we will sing from the Lord's Prayer. Let's put to music, as it is put to music in hymn 63, and we will sing the stanzas 1 and 6. Beloved congregation, brothers and sisters, Simon, do you see this woman? That's the question that Jesus asks in Luke 7, verse 44. Why does he ask it? It seems like a funny question, doesn't it? It's clear that Simon did see her. And that is evident from the account that we just read. She came into Simon's house uninvited while they were eating. And Simon the Pharisee was quite perturbed. He did not like that intrusion at all. He was also irritated with Jesus for not telling her off and for not right away getting rid of her. She had no reason to be there. She was disruptive. And to make matters even worse, she was also a woman of ill repute. She was well known in the town where Simon lived and she had a bad reputation. It could be that she was a well-known prostitute. Could also be that she was a common thief. The text does not tell us exactly what her sinful life was. Whatever it was, Simon knew all about this woman. As far as Simon was concerned, Jesus is the one who should be more observant. He should know who he is dealing with. And Jesus fully understands that Simon is keenly aware of the woman's presence. Indeed, all eyes are on her as she enters the house and stands behind Jesus. Everyone is staring at her and painfully aware of her unwelcome presence. Why does Jesus now say to Simon that he must see this woman? What exactly does Simon want, does the Lord Jesus want Simon to see? Well, the Lord Jesus wants Simon to see her much differently than he is seeing her now. He does not want him to see her in the way that everybody else sees her, as a reject, as an embarrassment, someone whom the world would be better off without, a hopeless sinner. No, Jesus wants Simon to see the woman for who she really is. He wants him to see that woman from a completely different light. He has to open up his eyes and see her, not first of all in relationship to man, but in her relationship to God. He wants him to see her 
through the eyes of God. But that's a big problem, not only for Simon, but also for us. For us to be able to do that, we must first see ourselves in a different light first. You have to see yourself through the eyes of God as well. And that's what the message of this afternoon is about. And the theme is as follows. Open your eyes when dealing with your own sin and the sin of others. And then you must look carefully in the first place at others, secondly at yourself, and then finally at the Lord Jesus. So first of all, you have to look carefully at others. The passage that we read together does not tell us exactly why Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to have a dinner with him. It's clear that he did not want to do that because he wanted to honor him or because he was favorably inclined to him. For he did not treat him in the way that you would normally treat a guest. It was the custom in those days that when you were invited to someone's home, that then one of the servants would wash your feet, or at least that he would make water available for the guest's feet. For your feet would be caked with dirt and dust after walking in sandals on the dusty roads. After the washing of the feet, the host would normally welcome each guest and greet him with a kiss to make him feel welcome and to let him know that he is an honored guest. It was also a matter of courtesy to anoint the guest's head with some olive oil. No one is exactly sure why this was done, but it was probably done to give some relief because of the hot oriental sun. It was a courtesy. Simon did not do any of these things for Jesus. He was not interested in honoring him. He was only curious. He wanted to find out more about the man, Jesus. Simon was a Pharisee. As such, he belonged to a privileged and highly regarded class of people. Pharisees were well-educated and were in a position of leadership and authority. Even the Romans, in many ways, deferred to them. And the Pharisees were held in high regard by all. They were in a class by themselves. The Pharisees also saw themselves as deserving to be so highly regarded. After all, they're the epitome of piety, aren't they? As learned men, they knew the scriptures thoroughly and kept the laws meticulously. They considered themselves to be examples of propriety, discernment, and wisdom. For that reason, they did not associate on the same level with others they considered inferior to them. They certainly did not associate with sinful women. And so it was a shock for this woman to do what she did. She entered Simon's house uninvited. That in itself was not unusual. From what we know about the custom of those days, people could enter the open court of a home in which the dinner was given. They would not seat themselves among the invited guests, but along the wall. From there, they could observe everything, and they could even engage in conversation with the people present. 
But it was unusual that this woman entered the premises of a strict Pharisee. Pharisees were quite condescending to women, and especially to women with a bad reputation. They did not make such people feel welcome or appreciated. They shunned them and stayed away from them. Nevertheless, she entered his home, and she even found the courage to go up to Jesus and to stand at his feet. Now, you have to picture this. In those days, people did not sit on a chair like we do today. No, they would recline on low couches arranged around a low table. Each person would face the table, lying slantwise, with feet stretched out behind them. And then you would lean on your left arm so that you would have your right hand free to handle the food. And so this woman would be standing behind Jesus, who was reclining at the table. That is, she would be behind his extended feet. And then something remarkable happens. As she stands behind him, she is overwhelmed with emotion and begins to weep. Luther says that the tears were heart water. In other words, these were not crocodile tears, but genuine tears. Those tears welled up within her from inside, from her heart. And those tears, they drip onto the feet of the Lord Jesus. And she did not expect to have that kind of emotional outburst at that time. She didn't want that to happen, but she couldn't help herself. And when she sees what she had done, she loosens her hair and with it wipes the feet of the Lord Jesus clean. And then she even pours perfume on his feet. And the perfume that she uses is very expensive. It is much more expensive than olive oil. She had taken that expensive perfume along because she had intended to anoint the head of the Lord Jesus. In this way, she wanted to show her thankfulness to him. But then instead, she not only anoints his feet, but she also kisses them, not just once, but repeatedly. And Jesus even allows her to do that. Now, this is too much for Simon. He does not voice his objections out loud. No, he keeps his thoughts to himself, thinking that if Jesus really knew who this woman was, that then he would not even allow her to touch him. He thinks, how can this man think of himself as a prophet? A true prophet would have known better. However, Jesus knew exactly what he was thinking, and thereby he actually proves himself to be a prophet. Except Simon is too blind to realize this. But so that the eyes of this Pharisee could be opened, he does not exactly, he does not directly confront him, but instead, as Jesus often does, tells him a parable. He tells him the story about two men who owed money to a certain moneylender. The one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Both amounts are quite large. The denarius represented about a day's wages. However, the one owed 10 times as much as the other. 
And Jesus says that neither one of them had money to pay him back, and so the money lender canceled the debt of both. And then he asks Simon, now which of them will love him more? In other words, who do you think would be the most thankful? Simon knows the answer that he is expected to give, for it is obvious. It would be the one who had the greatest debt forgiven. And now Jesus has him exactly where he wants him. And therefore he now says to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? Up to this point, all that Simon saw was a sinful woman. He saw her in accordance with the reputation that she had. He saw her as someone who is totally inferior to him. He saw her as an intruder, as a worthless human being. But that's not how Jesus saw her. On the contrary, it says in verse 47 that this woman is someone whose many sins are forgiven. Consequently, she is someone who is acceptable in the sight of God. God loves her in spite of who she is. And now Jesus wants Simon to see her in the same way. He wants Simon to go outside of himself. He does not want him to think about the reputation that she previously had or about what the other Pharisees think about her or what the townspeople think of her. No, he wants Simon to see her for who she truly is. In fact, he is saying to Simon, Simon, she stood there weeping. Why do you think that would be? Think about it. Look further. Those tears well up from her heart. They well up because she realizes what a sinful woman she was and still is. Oh yes, her sins were many, but all her sins have been forgiven. That is why she wept, Simon. These are tears of joy. You, on the other hand, Simon, think that your sins are few and that your good works outweigh your bad works. And for that reason, there is no great need for you to have the forgiveness of sins. But think again. You too are a great sinner and in need of the forgiveness of sins. Brothers and sisters, how often do you and I not look at people in the way that Simon the Pharisee does? We look at certain people in the church as well as outside the church and we remember them by their reputation or by whatever group they belong to. And we remember the kinds of things that they have done in the past and we keep on judging them for it. We see them, well, as somewhat inferior, as damaged goods. Or we see people who socially do not function as well as others. They have difficulty sometimes keeping their emotions in check in public. Perhaps they become easily angry or they pout or they say or do unwise and sometimes rude things that make others feel uncomfortable. Or we see people who have difficulties in their family life and who have all kinds of personal difficulties. 
or we see people with mental or physical disabilities and we judge them as inferior. Frequently, we even do that with our own families. Or we see someone from a different culture and then we prejudge them because that's what those kinds of people are like. But now think to yourself, what does the Lord Jesus see? Do you think he judges in the same way? He doesn't, does he? There are reasons why people do certain things and act in a certain way. Often it is because of bad experiences in the past, especially during childhood. Perhaps they've been hurt, they're damaged goods, and they are different because of it. They feel the judgment that they receive from others, and it grieves them. And they don't know what to do about it. They don't know how to change their behavior. They're full of guilt. Often they also feel that God is angry with them because they are different, because of their sins. And no doubt that is the way it was with that woman who entered Simon's house as well. It is likely that at some time Jesus had had contact with this woman and that he had told her then already that her sins are forgiven. What do you think that would have done to her? Well, that took a tremendous weight from off her shoulders. After that, she no longer felt divine disapproval. She no longer felt that God was angry with her. And the Lord Jesus, by telling her that her sins have been forgiven, puts her into a new relationship with God. No wonder that she was so joyful. The Catechism says that we must see the evidence of God's grace in us that we wholeheartedly forgive our neighbors. When you wholeheartedly forgive others their sins, that means that then you no longer look upon them because of their sins. And that means that you no longer act in accordance with their person's reputation either. When you forgive someone their sins, then you do that, you do that just once or twice. No, you do that seven times, 70 times. In other words, there is no end to it. That's how Jesus forgives. Brothers and sisters, look carefully at other people. Boys and girls, I want you to think about this too. Perhaps there's somebody in your class who's a little bit different. He or she is maybe not as nice as some of the other kids. They draw attention to themselves in strange ways and sometimes make a nuisance of themselves. How do you treat them? Like rejects? But ask yourself, is that what the Lord Jesus wants you to do? Think about how he treated those who are different. He treated everyone with kindness and love. He did not look at them because of their sins or their disabilities, but because of the loving relationship that he has established with them and because every human being is created in the image of God. 
and that includes others from different nationalities and even different religions. We must see them with the compassionate eyes of Jesus. And that's how we should also look at our neighbor, at every person that God places on your path, even your enemies. Be kind. However, the only way that you can do that is if you have a close look at yourself. We read in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See if there's any grievous way in me. The sinful woman in the passage had been aware of her sinful state. She allowed God to search her heart and she saw the way she departed from the ways of God and she knew what other people said about her and what they thought about her. Those things grieved her. And you may say, well, how can you be so sure of that? Well, otherwise she would not have reacted to the Lord Jesus in the way that she did, would she have? Otherwise, she would not have had the audacity to go up to him in the midst of high society and weep her eyes out in front of all of them because of the way that she felt about what Jesus had done for her. For Jesus had told her that all her sins are forgiven. As I said, at that point, the weight of her sins was lifted from her shoulders, and now she is full of joy. She is tremendously relieved. She's unspeakably thankful. Is that how you feel? The Catechism says that if we pray for the forgiveness of our sins, that then we pray to the Lord our God that for the sake of Christ's blood, none of our sins be held against us, nor the evil that clings to us, poor sinners that we are. And so the only way that you can pray such a petition is if you have some sense of your own sinfulness. If you have some sense of how you sin against God every day, indeed every moment of each day. If you have some sense of how you wrong others. In your attitude. In the way that you treat them. In the way that you think about them. You have to have some sense of the great debt that you owe God. And the more you realize the great debt you owe, the more thankful you will be. And the more you will love the one who has canceled your debts, who has forgiven you your sins. In other words, the more that you will love the Lord Jesus. Simon the Pharisee obviously did not have the sense of his own sins. He saw himself as an upstanding, of God, upstanding citizen of God's kingdom. He thought that God was lucky to have him as one of his servants. Look at how good I am, God. And that's why he judged others as severely as he did. He was arrogant. Sometimes people leave the church because of the sinful people that they find there. And they can point the fingers, that one, this one, and they go to another church, 
where they're more appreciated or where the people are more spiritual, to a church where good works are emphasized, and that's where they feel more comfortable. Brothers and sisters, it's our tendency to elevate ourselves and to lower others, to bring them down. We're all sinners. That's what we're all like uh, in accordance with our sinful nature. The one is not better than another. You may have different sins and you may have a different history, but you're not any different in God's sight. Believe in him and you're forgiven. And so we may not give in to that kind of mindset that somehow we are better than others. We have to fight that. And our confessions, which are based on the Bible, do not allow us to do that either. The catechism is a very personal confession. It speaks about us as poor and miserable sinners and about our sins and about the evil which still clings to us. God says to you and to me, look at yourself first. Take out of the beam out of your own eye first before you take out the splinter of your neighbor's eye. And only then will you be able to forgive the sins of others. Brothers and sisters, it's true that to forgive others their sins is not always easy, is it? And that's why we must not just look at ourselves, but especially the Lord Jesus. That's the third point. There are those who have really hurt us in the past and who sometimes continue to do that. It's difficult to forgive those people. And yet, that's what God requires. For note well that Jesus ties the forgiveness of our sins to the forgiveness that we extend to others. And those two things must go hand in hand. Unless we forgive those who have sinned against us and who have harmed us, God will not forgive us. Not that the forgiveness of our sins depends on the forgiveness we give others. We do not receive the forgiveness of sins because of anything that we do. No, it is a result of what God has done. And then if we are truly thankful that God forgives us our sins, then we cannot help but forgive others. Through his forgiveness, he makes us new creatures and, creature, and creates in us a new attitude, a predisposition for forgiveness. His forgiveness gives us a heart of compassion. And if that's not there, if you don't have a heart of compassion, then there is something seriously wrong with you or me, spiritually. God's forgiveness of our sins must always result in the forgiveness of the sins of others. There is no other way. Yet people still have difficulty with this. And they look at the damage that's done and at the great pain that has been inflicted and that continues to be inflicted. And so they think that the forgiveness of sin does not take the harm of sin seriously enough. Please note, however, that God does take sin very seriously. The forgiveness of sins is never meant to excuse the sinner. It doesn't say to 
others, it's our right for you to forgive, to hurt others, and to continue to do that. No, God wants you to put it all into perspective. Think about what God has done through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the proof that he did not just pass over our sins, as if it is not a big deal. For you know what Jesus did, don't you? He paid the penalty for our sins, and it did not come cheap. He had to shed his blood. He had to give his life. He had to suffer the agony of hell, being forsaken by God and by men. And so don't think that now anyone is scot-free, including those who have sinned against us and have done serious damage. No, sin has consequences for everyone. And sometimes those consequences are experienced already in this life. If you are a sexual pervert or a thief or a liar or a perpetual drunk, then you will most likely receive some form of punishment in one way or the other already in this life. But ultimately, those who do not repent from their sins will experience the eternal wrath of God in the life hereafter. There is no worse outcome than that. And so we may commiserate that those who sin against us do not receive their just judgment. Indeed, but then remember what the Lord our God says. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And that is the fate of those who do not repent. But what about you and me who believe? Well, for us, he has visited his wrath on his dearly beloved son, and through him, he forgives us our sins. Isn't that wonderful? That is also what he said to that sinful woman. He says to her that her faith has saved her, for she believed in the Lord Jesus. It is through her faith that she is put in a restored relationship with God, and it is only through faith that you can forgive others. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who lifts all burdens from off our shoulders, who strengthens us and who gives us everything that we need and who loves us unconditionally. If you believe in the Lord Jesus, then you can and you will forgive others. If you believe in Jesus, then you are cleansed in your heart and in your mind and you have peace. Note well that in our passage in verse 37, Luke says that the woman was a sinner. Jesus uses the past tense. That is the way she was, but that is not the way she is any longer. Why? Because she repented from her sins. That doesn't mean, of course, that she doesn't sin anymore. Of course not. But it does mean that now she wants to live her life out of grace. It means that now she will do her utmost no longer to go back to her old lifestyle. She is now a changed person. She has a different focus in her life. Her heart has changed. She has been reborn. There is evidence, as the catechism says, of God's grace in her. 
And no doubt that evidence would also show that she now treats others, her neighbor, not judgmentally as the Pharisees do, but in compassion and love. Brothers and sisters, that's also what God wants from you and from me, to forgive others and to have a heart of compassion and understanding and love. And if you know how sinful you yourself are, you yourself are, then that is not all that hard. For then the Lord has opened your eyes to the truth, to the truth of who you really are and of how others truly are and how they stand in relationship to the Lord our God. Focus your lives on the Lord Jesus and what he has done for you. And you will have peace and you will be eternally joyful and thankful. Amen.